uh, for most people. I have to video this sermon and one more, and then I'm through, and you will not see video again unless we, we do something with it purposely as a church. Uh, but I'm videoing because of the fact that uh, I have to record these sermons, and um, I need multiple backups. Tonight, I am only doing three. So, two backups and one primary source. Uh, and the irony is, is after I started setting up all the backups, we have not had problems again recording. So, that just bothers me. Anyhow, we're going to read from the gospel according to Mark. And I'm going to put that down there because otherwise my coffee will drop. So, if you would uh, flip in your own Bible to the 14th chapter of the gospel according to Mark. We're going to read verses 43 through 52. Um, or the tapestry Bibles, or the bulletin, or behind me. So this is what the word of the Lord says. Just as he was speaking, and the he here is Jesus. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled, and this is the southern coming out, naked, leaving his garment behind him. I'm sorry, I'm just not even going to pretend like I can say it properly without having to pause each time and think, naked. It's going to come out naked, I promise you. So, let's talk, okay? Uh, We have been kind of leading up to this for a while, but uh, we're now there. We're at the point where we are talking about the actual betrayal of Jesus. And realistically, almost the past three weeks, we have talked about betrayal over and over and over again. So tonight, we're going to go a little different. It's still, still dealing with betrayal, but I think that this passage of Scripture hits on an aspect of betrayal that's interesting. Because i got to tell you, after three weeks of dealing with betrayal, and when I reach the point of wanting to quote Nicole Ritchie, then I know I'm in trouble, okay? Because we've been dealing with betrayal and focusing and focusing, and every time I see this page, I just end up seeing this quote again. That's just kind of a general rule for me, okay? If I start thinking of quoting Nicole Richie in a sermon, I need to change subjects. Is that, is that a typo, or is that actually how she said it? I, co- I copied it from the way, but what is it? It's hard to tell who ha- has your back from who has it long enough just to stab you in it. What's the typo? Oh, no, it just sounds foolish. Oh, I think it does too. (laughs) Yes. You do realize who I just quoted, right? Nicole Richie. (laughs) Yes. And when the only thing you're famous for is being related to your dad, 
that's just not a good thing. Anyhow, instead, this is what I want to talk to you about tonight, okay? Because we're going to talk about betrayal, but I find it interesting the way that Judas betrayed. And, and specifically interesting because there's a great sense of irony in the very thing that is happening here. In the sense that irony is, this is the definition I stole literally from Merriam-Webster, the use of words to convey a meaning that is the opposite of its literal meaning. The irony of her reply, how nice, when I said I had to work all weekend. We understand irony. Irony is a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of fun in certain circumstances, such as if you type in irony under Google, you're going to find lots of fun photos such as this. Sometimes you have to search for the irony. I'm pausing just in case it takes some people a little longer. It's a hidden beach and it's pointing to it. Okay, sometimes the irony is just there in front of you because something is not serving the purpose that it was meant for. Sometimes the irony is more so about, you know, somebody making a message and then the message being counteracted by a little sticker on the bottom that says made in China, which you can't see very well, but it says made in China when you're supposed to support your own country. Sometimes the irony is is artistic in its nature. <laughs> and then <laughs> I love I love the way, you know, like 10 seconds later there's a, there's a different laugh. That's always fun. And then there's different types of irony. Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about the irony in this statement because of the fact that Judas does something incredibly ironic. He shows these signs of respect. Signs of respect that he should have shown to Jesus. Signs of respect that he would have probably shown many times before. He does two things and both of them are meant to be signs where he is saying, you are the one that I respect. But in doing that very act, He's showing he has no respect for Jesus whatsoever. In showing this very sign of respect, he is betraying the one that he is supposedly showing honor to. So, Judas calls him rabbi, which is perfectly appropriate. He would have done it. It would have been done many, many times before. There's a little bit of an odd thing there in the sense that Judas is the first one to speak, which is actually not respectful for that culture. Uh, The disciple would speak after the rabbi had spoken. So at that very moment, while he's showing the sign of respect, he's actually doing it in such a way that he's not respecting Jesus. And then also he kisses Jesus. Now this is, this would have been a kiss, literally, you know, lip to lip, fucker kiss, okay? Perfectly appropriate for that culture. I do not wish that you would come up and do me you know, do that to me. That would not be nice. Uh, Joe calls me Shepherd Bob every now and then. That would not be real cool if you walked in and said, Hi, Shepherd Bob, and then kissed me. That would not be nice. Even if you are a veteran and you deserve our respect, uh, respect, uh, don't kiss me. If you want to kiss Eric, that'd be different. <laughs> yeah, I would there. Okay, so he's doing this thing, and and it is actually the opposite of respect. Now, I'm going to point out a lot of photos here, just because I got to tell you this: all of the, all of these not photos, excuse me, all these paintings of of Judas kissing Jesus, I just think are quite funny because if you look at Jesus's face each time it's like the only way they convey that he knows he's being betrayed is just like this this you just I'm going to show you multiple photo, multiple images and each one is going to get worse and worse and worse on this but this is the act that's going on now for some of you may be like well why in the world did Judas actually need to to point Jesus out to them uh, Jesus was, you know, a pretty well-known figure at this time. He had lots of people following him. We forget a couple of things. One, 
We had, it had a society to where you didn't pay attention. If you were powerful, you didn't pay attention to anybody who else who was not powerful unless they were causing you an immense amount of trouble. Now, Jesus was going to do that. But realistically, it would have not been odd for them to think of him as not even human. Why would you pay attention to somebody that you didn't even consider human? Now, we wouldn't do that. I mean, let's face it. it, it, it you can get, you know, get well-known in our society just by things you do on the internet. If you watch YouTube, half of that is just people falling down and people become famous because they do something stupid and people will know who they are. But at this time, it was not very easy for people to know about other people from other regions that Jesus had come from Galilee. Here's the other thing. Have you ever been camping? Okay, I say that to Wisconsin. You people love to camp. I don't know what it is. It must be something about eat, all the cheese you eat that leads you to just be like, we got to go camping. I don't know. What I know is this is a camping society. I mean, I, I've been to, I mean, I, you guys, like when, when you asked her to marry you, you were geocaching, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly, Isaac. It would have messed me up too. <laughs> Isaac does not approve of the way you asked her to marry you. I was going to say, Amanda, all that matters is, is that you approve. But guys, you guys camp. Now, I want you to think of the darkness that happens when you're camping versus the darkness that happens just outside of Washington. It really is, it's amazing how much light we have in a city. When you really get out, and, and not just camping in like, you know, the KOA or something, but camping where you go out truly in the wilderness, I had some friends, I've shown you a photo of where I almost died climbing up a mountain. And we went into a national forest at that point, And there were basically 10 campsites in an area of about 4,000 square, excuse me, 4,000 square acres. There was no light. And if the cloud cover came in and you didn't see stars, it was pitch black. This is what they're in. This is their life. At night... If you have a torch, that's great, but let's face it, you, you know how much light a campfire puts out. Can you imagine trying to, to pinpoint somebody that you barely know what they look like based off the light of a campfire? So they needed a sign because they wanted to grab Jesus as fast as they could and get him secure because what they were trying to avoid was a rebellion, and that's what they were scared of. They were scared that a rebellion would happen and the Romans would, would come in and say, we've got, to, we've got to put this down. So they used Judas, and Judas uses these signs of respect. I mean, we have signs of respect all around us. We have societies that, that do these intimate signs of respect. But even if you think about it, in our, cell, in our own culture, we have these signs of respect. If I meet you for the first time and you're a guy, what do I probably do? Shake my hand. Yeah, and if I don't shake your hand, well, you're probably going to think that I don't respect you at that point. Because we still do these same types of, of signs of respect. And the thing is, is that it was ironic that Judas used a sign of respect to betray Jesus. Now, irony can be laughed at or it can be truly sad. I know, i got to tell you, I absolutely love that irony. <laughs> um, but the reality of the matter here is that it really is what's kind of going on in the story. Because there are multiple people who betray Jesus all throughout this passage. But the irony comes in the play that Judas ends up betraying Jesus off this kiss. If you remember, in some of the other passages, Jesus even points this out. You betray me with a kiss. 
Here's why it's important. If you look in the Old Testament, if you look in the New Testament, there's example after example after example of people doing what we would refer to as pretense. They are doing the actions that are right, but they are doing them in such a way that it actually conveys disgust. God refers to literally people doing this with their worship to him in this passage and several others. This is from Isaiah. And it says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules uh, they have been taught. See, they're doing the right actions, but they are doing them in a way that is actually offensive. Sometimes we just think if you do the right actions, that's okay. But we all know within life, somebody can do exactly what they're supposed to do, and they can do it in such a way that you know what they're really doing is slapping you in the face. Has anybody ever had somebody say something to them that sounded perfectly right? If it was written down, you'd go, oh, they just gave you a compliment. Like, oh, aren't you smart? But they said it in such a way that you knew what they were saying was, you're just an idiot. See, the people of Israel did this. Thankfully, we never do it at all. But this is not the only example here. This is from, uh, from Amos. To be honest, you could read the entire book of Amos and say it's all about this. Okay, But I hate, I despise your religious feast. That's pretty strong language. He's not saying, I hate it when you do it wrong. <laughs> He's literally saying, I hate all of this stuff, that you're doing the actions right, but the reality is, is that your heart is not about me at all. See, if you look in the history of the church, the same is true too. There have been people who've done amazing actions. They didn't do them honoring God. They did these things that are signs of respect. But truthfully, they did them in a way that was insulting to God. Insulting to his people. I know pastors who can preach these amazing, incredible sermons, but their lives reflect no love of God whatsoever. When I was in seminary, there was, there was a, a pastor in the area who was, he was an adjunct professor for this seminary. And he was amazing. And he was probably the best preacher I've ever heard. Uh, his nickname was the voice of God. Okay, It was not even just that he, he was a good preacher. But you know, you, he's a good preacher and he has this incredible voice so that you could just listen to him. And it wasn't the cheesy like radio voice. Have you ever met somebody who talks and they have this cheesy radio voice and you can tell they're trying to sound like they're professional but it just makes them actually sound worse? He just sounded incredible. It's like going to, to a movie and watching the trailers. If that guy did sermons, okay? Just incredible. Or he's like, in a world. Okay, that was his sermon. And, and when he would talk about Scripture, he would use these illustrations. He talked once about how, uh, Scripture talks about how, though our sin be as scarlet, God will, will make us clean as the driven snow. And he talked about this time where his mother had hung out the laundry and had bleached her sheets, and her sheets were just pure and spotless white, and then it snowed, and he saw the difference between real white and what he thought had been white. Come on, that's a good illustration. <laughs> The problem is that while he was doing the actions right, he was having an affair with the secretary. He sells, he sells funeral plots now. See, he did the actions right, but his heart was really far from God. And no matter how well he, he showed these signs of respect, it was actually insulting. 
Now, we refer to that as having, you know, two faces or being a hypocrite. I'll let you look at that photo because I just think that photo is amazing, okay? But realistically, you know what it's like where people are two-faced, where, where they are hiding behind a mask and the mask looks right and perfect, but the reality behind that is so much worse. Now, the word hypocrite, uh, hypocrisis, excuse me, is actually a Greek word. It comes from plays. It means play acting. If you've ever seen this image or something similar to it, those are the two masks. Because what would happen in a Greek in a Greek play is the actors would change personalities based on mask. Actually, Amanda, you've probably studied some of this before. Uh, it wasn't so much about every actor having a different character. Their character would be defined by these masks, which is why these masks, they're like the symbol of, of plays, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. And, and so I would come out and I would wear one mask, and then I would walk off stage and wear another mask. That's how it changed. And, and we see people, well, <laughs> if we're truthful, sometimes we're the people who do this. Every now and then we'll have somebody come to tapestry who, who comes to tapestry because they didn't go to church that morning. And they feel like, I have to go to church. You don't have to go to church. I think church is a wonderful thing. I love church, okay? It would probably stink if I didn't love church. I am a pastor after all, okay? Do you know what you call a pastor who doesn't go to church? Unemployed. <laughs> okay? It doesn't work very well. But when people come here and it's just like, oh, we have to go to church because we didn't go to church anymore. No! No! Enjoy it! Sleep in! Grab a donut! Drink some coffee. But if you want to come to Tapestry, that's great. But when you feel like, I have to go, that's just an action that has nothing to do with the God that's supposed to be you know, reflected in that action. We do it all the time. Ezekiel said, My people come to you as they usually do, and they sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. See, Judas had sat before Jesus for almost three years. Almost three years. He listened to Jesus over and over and over again. And in the end, he shows the signs of respect while he's betraying Jesus to men of power. That's not what Jesus wanted. Isn't it interesting? There are three people that kind of do actions that probably were not what Jesus wanted in the midst of this. And only one of them is really nailed here. I say three. Okay, all of the disciples run away. I don't think Jesus is like, Yay, you ran away. Awesome. <laughs> but they're not really condemned. Peter... And I'll talk about him in a second. But he's the guy who pulls the sword out and you know, hacks a guy's ear off. Which means he either has absolutely amazing aim and he hates ears. Or he's really, really terrible. Because let's face it. If you go into battle and all you chop off are the ears. Nobody's going to praise you for that. There have never been any songs sung about guys who chopped off ears. It just doesn't work that way. But they're really not condemned. They're not criticized in the midst of this. Jesus, even later on, he'll say, you know, put your sword away because if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. But even then, that's not really condemnation. Judas's life goes downhill. Matter of fact, this is the last mention of Judas in the Gospel of Mark. The only reason we know what happens to him uh, is because the other Gospels mention it. But Mark just dismisses him from the story at this point. So, I must ask you a question. 
I'm going to let you think about that one for just a second. I must ask you a question. No, I just need to let that one sit for just a little bit longer. Because, <laughs> come on, that's awesome. And the question is this. See, a few weeks ago, I pointed out Saran Kierkegaard, who, who many of you know, I just love him. He's a philosopher and, more importantly, a Christian. But he makes this statement. And that statement basically is that whenever we read Scripture, we have to say to ourselves, it's talking about me, it's talking about me, it's talking about me. And it becomes so easy for us to hear Scripture, to read Scripture, and go, oh, so-and-so really needs to hear that. Maybe you don't do that, but every now and then I do that, okay? I'm like, Crystal really needs to hear that because Crystal works at Kmart and everybody knows that Jesus hates Kmart. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? Maybe maybe you never suffer with that, but uh, it's real tempting for me every now and then to, get, to read and go, oh, God's really talking to this other person. When I was a youth minister and I would preach in big churches, the way it's referred to when you're a youth minister, people would say, oh, you're preaching in big church today. Um, and, and that's just kind of weird. But I would always have uh, grandparents and parents and adults come up afterwards and say, oh, the kids really need to hear it, needed to hear that. Which was always funny to me because, to be honest, I was preaching to them, not to their kids. See, we so often read Scripture and go, oh, that's so good for them, not realizing it's talking about us. And the reality of the matter is, quite often, we do the exact same thing Judas did. We do actions that are supposed to be respectful and instead, we just insult Jesus with them. See, I think we need to ask ourselves all the time, how often do I do something similar? Obviously, you're not betraying Jesus in the sense of, hey, let me kiss you so people can take you and kill you. But there have been times where I have done religious actions and I've not done them in a way that has pleased God. There have been times where I may have done a religious action or two that was more about my pride than anything else. I've told some of y'all the story of how when I first became a Christian, I heard someone say, the way to know if somebody is really, really walking straight with Jesus is if their Bible's worn out. And so I, said, I became so convinced that that was the way that you, you showed that you were holy, that what I would do during Bible study was instead of actually reading my Bible, I would sit there and do this the whole time with it. And I had a really, really worn out Bible. It was awesome. I'll show it to you if you want to see it sometime. I can hold it and it will flop down like that. It is though my Bible is made out of butter. Okay, just absolutely incredible. But none of it got into my life. Because I was so busy looking religious. Because I had a worn out Bible. Okay, I mean the binder is torn off the back of it now. And it's just barely holding together. It's absolutely incredible. But... The stuff that got into my life came years later when I finally realized, no, a worn-out Bible is not the sign of somebody who's really close to God. It's usually the sign of somebody who's cheap, which fits perfect for me, okay? (laughs) There have been times where I have done actions that are supposed to convey respect to God. And realistically, all I've done is insulted Him. I know you've never done that at all. But I have. Amos says this again. And he says this in the midst of essentially a trial. 
He is condemning the people around Israel and saying, you have rebelled against God in this way. And he says this about them. And the point I want you to get is they're literally taking things that are supposed to be things of honor and they're using them in a way that is a shame. Okay, at the end here, they're like, they, they lie down beside every altar on garments they have taken in pledge because they're doing the right thing on loaning money to people and they take this garment and then they use the very garment to, to do actions that are against God. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ do the religious thing in a way that is so completely unchristlike it's pitiful. You want a good example? Look at the way some, some of our fellow believers in Jesus Christ handled the election. On all sides. And I do not mean by that that we should not condemn evil. There is evil in the world that should be condemned. For us not to say something about it is in and of itself evil. But we have to do it in the way that Jesus did it. Because the second we condemn the very things that Jesus would condemn and we do it in a way that he wouldn't do, then we've shown a lack of respect for our Savior. See, Jesus is not an ends justifies the means type of guy. Jesus is, he wants the right ends and he wants the right means. He wants it all. Which is why. In, in Luke 11, this happens. I love this. One of the experts of the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. What a great question that is. Because <laughs> it's not like when you say these things, you insult people. It's like if he said these things and it was just about that other group, it would be fine. But now you're saying it and it also kind of pertains to us and it insults us. We don't like that. But Jesus responds this way. He says, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Uh, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. See, the irony here is is that the people during Jesus' time were were looking back at the prophets and going, oh, look at them, look at them. The problem is they were living just like their fathers were before them. And their fathers were the ones who killed the prophets when they spoke out God's word. See, we in the church, the whole reason Jesus says that we shouldn't judge others is because we should be so busy noticing our own sin that we don't have time to notice somebody else's sin. But that's no fun. (laughs) I'm sure you're not like this, but I love it when Jesus condemns your sin. That's awesome. I'm I'm right there with him going, yeah! It's when he points out my stuff that I don't like. (laughs) None of you were like that at all, though. No. So, there are two other people that are mentioned uh, specifically here. And there's a couple of groups that are mentioned. But there are really two other people here who kind of do some weird stuff. Okay? So, first one is the ear guy. Now, we know, we know from the other Gospels that this is Peter. 
And, and it is interesting. Peter has a sword with him at this point. You just don't think of, of, of the disciples having swords. But Jesus doesn't say anything about it. Jesus doesn't go. And you weren't supposed to bring a sword with you either, Peter. It's interesting. I love the fact that Jesus is so beyond the stereotype that at least I put on him every now and then. Because, you know, I'll kick to peaceful redneck. Not redneck, excuse me. Peaceful hippie. That's the exact opposite of a redneck, isn't it? But peaceful hippie Jesus. Every Peaceful redneck Jesus. That... <laughs> Rednecks over there going, like, yeah, going to put some you know, plants in the back 40. <laughs> Do some corn and some soybean. But we're not hurting anything. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because he's beyond our stereotype. At least Peter had a sword. At least one of them had some type of weapon. But Jesus doesn't want him using it at this time. And what we see from the rest of Peter's life is, is he may have carried that sword for the rest of his life, but he didn't use it. But Jesus doesn't condemn him. And one of the things I love about this is that this gospel, the gospel according to Mark, could be called the gospel according to Peter as told to Mark. See, if you think about it, there's not a disciple named Mark. It's John Mark, and he probably learned the gospel through what he saw, but also through Peter telling him. And what I love is that Peter doesn't hide his failures at all. If you think back through what we've read, Peter's done some pretty stupid things. And this gospel that was given to Mark by Peter doesn't hide those things. Because the beauty of it is, is that when Jesus, when we really start following Jesus, he takes our failures and if we let him, he actually makes them wonderful things also. See, Jesus makes it where Peter doesn't have anything to be ashamed of because of the fact that he chopped some guy's ear off, either because he was just really bad aim or because maybe he was doing something Jesus didn't want him to do. Um, he doesn't have to be ashamed of that. And here's the other thing. The naked guy, or naked guy, he was probably one of four people, one of which is probably the person. Either he was someone we don't know, or he was John, the beloved disciple. Or he was James, the half-brother of Jesus. Or what most scholars think is, he was Mark. So the person who is telling, about, telling us about Jesus now doesn't hide his own failure. Because I don't know about you. But if I'm bragging about a story, it's definitely not going to be the fact that somebody ripped my clothes off and I ran away. See, God takes our failures and He will redeem them. And they become things that can point to how wonderful He is if we let Him. But Judas doesn't let Him. Judas uses signs of respect to betray Jesus. So before I end, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? And then I'll end. And don't worry, Aaron, because you, you're the one who I can depend on to ask. I will say what I think you should do with it. Does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Yes, sir, Pete. Um, all right. Good question. He's, he said if he had a garment on, uh, why did he flee? flee? <laughs> did you say naked? That's what I thought he said. Where'd he go, Pete? There's a reason I love Pete. Um, all right, a couple of reasons. One, he didn't have undergarments on, um, so, and that's important. Uh, the reason that this is thought that it was Mark is tradition holds that Jesus 
when he celebrated the Passover, he celebrated the Passover in John Mark's parents' home. And the fact that he didn't have undergarments on and had just wrapped an outer garment on on him probably indicates that this was somebody who was sleeping and saw Jesus moving and said, oh, I'm going to follow him. So it was done in, in haste at that point. Otherwise, it, he would have typically have had undergarments on. It would have been very strange uh, for him not to have undergarments on. This is not a towel or, or like a sheet that was wrapped around him. Uh, instead, it would have been like his outer tunic uh, that he just kind of wrapped at that point. So it would have been very easy for it to have been ripped off of it. He wouldn't have looked. It wouldn't have been like, why is this crazy guy wearing a sheet? Um, He would have looked normal, but the second they grabbed it and he just did that, he would have been free. Now, interestingly enough, we know this was probably a person of money uh, because of the fact that it's linen. Most people would not have had a linen, uh, linen outer garment. They might have had a linen inner garment, even though that would have been rare, but they would not have had a linen outer garment. Uh, so does that kind of answer your question? It wasn't like he, he was like, I just want to run away naked. Okay. <laughs> every, t- every time I was reading this verse, I think of the Allstate commercial with the streaker. Uh, have y'all seen that one? Okay, well, you should watch all the Allstate commercials. I think they're hilarious. Uh, this was not like some evil plan of his, like, ah, oh, I'm going to ruin Jesus' moment by being nude in the garden. It was probably just in his haste he wrapped up. And then when they grabbed uh, his cloak, he just did that and ran away. Because he was more scared of being caught than he was running in the nude. All right, anybody else? Okay, here's how I want to end it then. See, I think irony is great. I I love irony in books. I love irony in movies. Irony is wonderful. Except in your life. See, irony in books makes it enjoyable to read. Irony in your life makes you a hypocrite. Irony in movies makes for an enjoyable plot. Irony in life makes you self-righteous. Irony in music makes for a good laugh. Irony in your life hurts those who were created in God's image and betrays the one whose image they bear. So this is what I'm going to end with. This week, what are you doing that is meant to be a sign of respect for Christ? And is it really conveying respect? What is it you're doing that's religious in its nature? And is it really pointing you and pointing others to Jesus? Or is it just a a false sign of respect that you might as well be slapping Jesus in the face with. Judas betrayed Jesus and he used the very things that were meant to to help him to follow Christ. Let's not do the same. Pray with me, please. Father, help us to follow your son. Really follow him rather than just doing religious actions. I pray this in his name. Amen. Guys, please stand and sing.